everyone. Uh, thank you so much, Sam and Zach, for really helping us to get into uh, this passage already with that introduction. Uh, we are going to be looking at the spiritual sight that God gave to Caleb, um, and you have that in your Bibles in front of you. And you notice that the first reading was Caleb's uh, request, what he came asking for, and we're going to look at his words there. Uh, that was in chapter 14. The second part that we read was the, uh, res- the result of what Caleb asked for. Okay? Um, so we're going to flick between those two as we get going. Uh, Sam's prayed for us. Let's, let's make a start. A while ago, uh, we got uh, asked to take Eddie in for an eye test. And uh, we'd already suggested he might need one because he has a squint in one eye which looks inward. And uh, what, what it means actually is that Eddie can see pretty well pretty much anything. You won't notice it. But he can't see 3D. You wouldn't know that, would you? Um, how do you discover these things? Well, only if you go for an eye test, I guess. Um, but it means that Eddie can't see 3D images. And uh, the test result, results showed that. So that's why he's wearing glasses, to help to correct that. And uh, as we look at this whole thing of spiritual sight and faith, uh, we're going to be praying, we're going to ask God to give us that sight because there's some things that we see clearly and there's some things that we don't see when we look out. And I think what we tend not to see is the opportunity God gives because of who he is and because of his promise. Uh, So we tend to see the obstacles. We tend not to see the opportunities, the, the things that God could do. And that's one of, one of the dangers. Um, but Caleb is a wonderful example to us in what he says. Um, we're going to see that actually Caleb is just another human. He's just another person. And we are not exactly in his shoes. But Caleb's God is, if we're a Christian, and we have heard about the good news of Jesus, is our God too. And he never changes. So the things that Caleb is starting to learn about who God is are things that we can be learning about who God is. And uh, so we can learn from his example without making him the focus. You see what I mean? Don't want you going away thinking, oh, isn't Caleb great? Much better to be going away thinking, isn't Caleb's God great? Um, So that's what we're going to be learning from Caleb. Christians will start to look more and more like Caleb as Caleb resembles Jesus who has saved them and is making them to be more like him. So you're going to look more like Jesus and if Caleb resembles Jesus then that's what we'll see in this passage. And Jesus perfectly lived in the Father's will. He did what he, he saw his Father doing. So he trusted and he walked. He lived out the promises of God. Christians will have spiritual sight. So that's our main point. We will come back to the passage in a second. True spiritual sight. And the first point we're going to look at is that true spiritual sight actually sees things as they really are. And we're going to see that from verses 7 to 8. In verses 7 to 8, Caleb gives us kind of the backstory to what's going on here. He gives us a trip down memory lane. But don't worry, this isn't just an 85-year-old rambling about something that happened in their past and you're wondering what the relevance is. It is relevant. Because Caleb is telling us about what happened when he was 40 years of age, 45 years ago, 
And he says that in verses 7 to 8. Shall we read it? He says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb's referring to the time when Moses sent the spies into the land in Numbers 13 and 14, 45 years previously. And you all know that actually they didn't go into the land because it took an extra 40 years wandering in the wilderness and it got to Joshua chapter 1 before they started to go into the land. What went wrong? Well, Caleb and Joshua were two of those spies. They saw what everyone else saw and the two things that all the spies couldn't deny about the land were it was good (laughs) it was just as good as God said it was going to be in fact I think they carried the grapes on like this big stick and the grape the bunch of grapes was just swinging okay lovely the other thing they both didn't deny about the land was that the people were huge they were tall and they were warriors the Anakim and they're, they're, they're actually, even in this passage, Caleb's going to refer to them because they're still around. But they were the warriors, the tall warriors, the fearful ones, the, the ones that they were going to have to fight to take the land. And uh, Caleb and Joshua came back. They reported exactly the same thing as the ten. The difference was their interpretation of what they saw. The ten said, hey, look, Yes, like, of course the grapes are great, but the people are awful, we can't do it. Caleb said, Caleb and Joshua said, the grapes are great, the people are awful, but God can do it. Yeah? The two, unfortunately, majority vote, one on the day, the ten, everyone listened to the ten. They feared the people, they didn't believe the promise of God, they didn't go into the land. And the upshot of that was that all of the people actually, other than Joshua and Caleb, didn't get to go into the land so spiritual sight is pretty important isn't it to see things as they really are because as time told the ten may have seemed the more uh, responsible at the time they would have seemed like the realists you know you meet people who are realistic why don't you call them pessimists but maybe we should I'm, I'm probably one of them actually the realist says I'll tell you exactly what this is before us. And basically what they mean is, I'll tell you every, every reason why we can't do what we're about to do. Okay? But they might have seen the more realistic, but actually they hadn't seen the real big picture. They hadn't seen what was really in front of them because they'd not brought God into the equation at all. If you see clearly, if you have true spiritual sight, you see all the obstacles, but yet you see, you bring God into the picture. God is in the picture. And that changes how you see the obstacles. You get that? So true spiritual sight sees what is really there. It might be that we we sound like we're more realistic if we're just talking about the obstacles and the difficulties. But we're not unless we're also talking about the power of our God and what he's able to do. Yeah? We'll get on to why this is important for us, okay? Um, true spiritual sight sees what is really there. Second point, true spiritual sight comes from God's word. What is the one thing you notice about Caleb's speech? What does he refer to more than anything else? Have a look down. 
Just glance down at it. Someone tell me, what does he say more than anything else in that little, in those four verses? Yeah, he says something else more times than that. He talks about Moses, yeah? Go on, we're almost there. We're so close. You know what... Now, what does it say in verse uh, 6? You know what the... You know what the Lord said, okay? What does it say in verse um, 9, or verse 10, actually? And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said... And then at the end of that verse, and now behold, I'm at this day 85 years old. Um, He then says in verse 12, just as the Lord, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. So top and tail, the very first thing he says is, you know what the Lord said, back when Moses was around. The last thing he says is, just as the Lord said, maybe this will happen. So everything that Caleb is talking about here is in reference to the word of God. Yeah? Shall I show you in the, in the verse again? Let's have it up on the screen. You know what the Lord said? Um, and then it says, uh, just as he said that the Lord spoke, uh, of which the Lord spoke, it may be that the Lord will be with me, just as the Lord said. So Caleb's sight, his spiritual sight, comes from God's word. That's clear, isn't it? Anything you can say about what Caleb saw and believed came from what God had already said. Came from the Bible. Came from what God has spoken. So, true spiritual sight sees things as they really are, but it picks that up from God's word, doesn't it? What the Lord has said is the big thing that says that. Says that. He treasures God's words. Uh, it's the first thing he says about what he's going to ask for. And even in his request, you can see he puts it twice, doesn't he? When he says, so now give me the hill country, he puts it in there twice. So Caleb's faith is based on God's word. That's the second thing we see. Caleb's faith, true spiritual sight, is, comes from God's word. Plain and simple. It's not, it's, not, it's not difficult. It comes from God's word. This faith comes from God's word. He's saying this is what God said. And therefore this is what I can expect. And that will be the same for you and for me as well. If we're to have true spiritual sight. It's not going to be uh, separate from the word of God. It's not going to be like. We're going to ask for it, and then God's going to give it aside from the word of God. He is going to point our eyes to the Bible so that we would have spiritual sight to see what's going on around us. So if we want to see what is really going on around us, guess what? We need the Bible. (laughs) If you're going to see what your day holds and what it really means in terms of eternal things, then you're going to need the Bible. That is going to help you to, to look out and see rightly. And that's exactly what, what happened with Caleb, isn't it? Thirdly, true spiritual sight 
produces courage with humility. If you asked anyone to describe, give me a feature of Caleb, what's his characteristic? It's courage. Courage, I guess, in that first instance that I described, being one of only two people who say the Lord can do it. Let's go into the land. Everyone else would say, that's dangerous, Caleb. That's crazy ideas. You're going to get us killed. He was courageous. It made him courageous. And in this example as well, because if you look at the request, when he says, now give me this hill country, uh, the Anakim are those big people who still live there. And their best warrior is a guy called Arba. So the name of the place is Kiriath Arba, named after this great warrior. So what Caleb is essentially asking for is, give me the, the hardest of the hardest place. Not, give me the hardest warrior fight of the hardest warrior people. And he's not saying that just because he's sort of like tough guy, wants to be you know tough guy. He's saying it because he believes that God is able to do that. It doesn't matter. No fight is too big, no fight is too small. God will do what he says he's going to do. So it makes him courageous. Caleb could have picked an easier battle than this one. He's not being a martyr or he's not being gung-ho. He recognises the danger. It's just that when he puts the faithfulness of God and the glory of God in view, this is the outcome. This is the decision that seems right. It's not right that this place within the land is named after this guy. It should be giving glory to you. Hebron is giving glory to God. That's the name they changed it to. Okay, so he's courageous. But you notice in verse 12, when he makes that request, there's also humility. So if you are someone who sees what God sees, then it will make you humble. And actually in verse 12, he says... It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out. He's not presuming on God. He's not demanding that God do what he should, what he's telling him to do. He's not saying just because God won all those battles in the past that he has to win this one for me. He's saying it may be that the Lord will be with me. That's, that's the words of humility, isn't it? I guess we're probably quite drawn to people um, when we talk about faith and and having faith and being a man of faith or a person of faith. We're drawn to people, aren't we, who who make big claims. And they might talk about past victories or successes. They say, can I tell you about my big church? My last church I had, it was was a thousand people. These churches around here are, are ridiculously small, what's going on? Yeah, they, they might. We're drawn to people like that because we think, okay, well, they've been successful. Or we might be drawn to people who are like, okay, I can just name and claim something as a Christian leader. I can just say, I'm just telling you, you just, you just got to believe and you're going to have it. You can almost demand it off God. And if you don't demand it, you're not believing enough. Interesting, isn't it, that the person of faith in the Bible, who's seen more victories, by the way, than any of us will put together is actually still saying, it may be that the Lord will be with me. And if he is, I shall drive them out. 
That's not saying I'm the big one. It's saying I'm utterly dependent on God. If God is not with me, what are we doing here? There's no point. So that is what spiritual sight produces. Courage, yes, but with humility. So we, we, this will be what it produces in us. We start to look around, we think, if we're going to see as God sees from his word, it's going to produce courage. Yes, we're going to want to do things that we would otherwise not want to do. To be brave. To speak to someone when we would not speak to them usually, or to, to say no to something that everyone else is going along with, or you know, to be willing to be the butt of the joke, or whatever it is. You know, courage with humility. Not saying I'm the big one here. I need God. Will he be with me? And if he is, then it will be just as he says it's going to be. And we want that humility as a church, don't we? We don't want to be just repeating the same things and saying, because we've spoken to people on the doors before and it's okay. Because some people have come to church, we can just do the same thing again, it will work. And then we go off and we tell other people and say, you know, you need to listen to us because we know how to do evangelism. And it will work exactly the same way in your place. No, we want to be people who are humble to say, give it a go. But we, we don't know. God knows. And we pray that he will be with you. And we pray that he will be with us as we go. Because if he isn't, nothing's going to happen. So this isn't a concession of doubt from Caleb. It's not a maybe the Lord will be with me. He's not saying I I don't think that God can do this. He's just not presuming on God. Or demanding, telling him what to do. Last thing we see, and this is in the bit that we read from verses 13 down to 19. Very last thing we see is that spiritual sight invites others along actually invites others to trust in God and to act on his promises. You see what Caleb does? Um, He basically says, I've taken Hebron. I've gone up to Debir, which is the next place. Um, But but I'm going to put out a little invitation to you guys. Verse 16. Who wants to come along? Who wants to come along with me, he says. He says, whoever strikes Kiriath-Setha and captures it, to him will I give Axon, my daughter, as wife. So his spiritual sight isn't just a, I'll do it. I'll get on with it. It is that. I'll be an example. But it is, come along with me. Verse 16. He puts out an invitation. He invites others to act on God's promises. To, to, to demonstrate their faith in God's promises. And it promotes faith in others, doesn't it? Because he could have gone and done it himself, I guess. But he doesn't. He says, who's going to be with me? Who's going to come up with me and do this, do this next one? Othniel. Perhaps he was a younger guy. Because, you know, of, of the same generation as his daughter, Axa. It's a bit of a weird thing, isn't it? This whole thing of, I'll give my daughter in marriage. Probably wasn't as weird in those days, um, you know, arranged marriages, that kind of thing. I think it's actually pretty noble of Caleb. We tend to think it's a little bit seedy, right? We tend to think Caleb is like, 
you know, why would you have your daughter as like the prize or the reward? But if you think about it, Caleb wants some a man who is trusting God and acting in line with the promises of God and taking God at his word. And he puts out the invitation. What a wonderful way to look for a potential father, husband for your, for your daughter, isn't it? Because who would you want with your daughter other than someone who is going to be trusting in the promises of God and encouraging her to do that? And, and actually, you see that Caleb's own daughter, if you look in verse, um, verse 17... Uh, Othniel captured the city and uh, he, he, uh, Axa, Caleb's daughter, became his wife. But when Axa came to uh, Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she got off her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you want? So Caleb's actually inviting his daughter to be the one to ask him for some of the inheritance. Now that would usually be a really offensive thing, wouldn't it? I mean, Axon knows that it's rightly Othniel's job to do it, to be the one asking. But Axa, uh, Caleb invites his own daughter to be, to, to be courageous and to ask. And when she asks, he says, will you give me this, uh, these, these springs of water? Because the cattle, they're going to need water. You know, if we're going to live here. This is actually going to be our home. We're going to need these things. So she's already starting to think in line with the promises of God. So actually, this is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Because Caleb's acted in faith. And that has actually promoted faith within his own family. Because the daughter Axa is actually... It shows that she has seen that the faith of her dad wasn't just something he said, I believe in. It wasn't just the parents saying, you know, following Jesus is really the best, best way to live. <laughs> he actually showed it. Of course he's the best way to live. We can trust him. And that had a big impact, it seems, within his own family. So what if you're a Christian here today? Have you realised that God's work in your life is to change you? So that you live more and more, day by day, by faith in his promises. That his great work in your life is to help you to depend more and more on him and what he has said to you. What he has promised you. And like Caleb, he's brought you into that relationship with him. Not because you were good and you deserved it. But through his own sacrifice, he's brought you into a relationship with him. And yet, every day he wants you to depend more and more and to grow in faith, to exercise your faith in his promises. So rather than just, I guess, staying as we are, God is at work to, to help us to grow, to depend on him more, to see his promises more and more in our lives. And uh, he gives us this spiritual sight, and we'll be praying for that, because if he doesn't, uh, we'll tend to just see the obstacles to the gospel. We'll say, okay, well, yeah, you know what? England is a post-Christian country. People don't really want to talk about Christianity anymore. Um, in fact, they're pretty against Christianity. Uh, God, you're probably not going to do much here. Let's go to another country where they're a bit more agreeable. 
But no, God is teaching us, like Caleb, to trust him. To trust his promise. And to ask for the sight to see what is really in front of us. Because he is God. Because he can do this. And he has already demonstrated that. If you think about it with Caleb, I told you that he'd seen all the victories. When he was 40, he hadn't seen any of the land captured. And he was saying, God can do it. He's 85. He's seen most of the land captured. Is he going to change his mind, do you think? Is he going to suddenly change his mind? No, I don't think God can do it now. No, of course not, because he's seen so much more of God achieving what he said he was going to do. And the same is with us, brothers and sisters. Because at this point in time, we have seen everything that Jesus promised, pretty much Most of it has been fulfilled. The gospel has gone to the ends of the earth from when Jesus said it would. And now we're in this position where we're like, okay, well, should we trust him in the little bit of Dagenham? The little bit of Beckentry that he can get it from? He's got it from from Bethlehem, I guess, to to Dagenham. Is he going to get it from Dagenham to down my road? Is he going to get round to what road we're in today? Studley Road or whatever? Sheldon Road, thank you. Is he going to do that? Can we trust him to do that? Can we believe him to do that? Of course he can. I mean, he's, he's done the job, basically. Will he complete the job? Of course he will. So, and when we're doing that, what we're not doing is we're not distorting what's really there. Okay. We're not being people who say, oh, we're just going to ignore the fact that people don't want to hear about Jesus. We're not sort of suddenly becoming sort of like tunnel vision and we don't actually see that that's the case. But Caleb did see, didn't he? He did see what they were really like. He saw what the obstacles were, what the danger was, but he saw that God was more than able to do it. And that is exactly why he acted the way he did. There is an encouragement here for Christian parents. Sometimes as parents you might feel like if you make too many sacrifices for the gospel, if you move your family to a new place, you're going to ruin their lives. You did it for gospel reasons, but it's just going to have a really bad impact on them. It doesn't seem that way with with, uh, his daughter, Axa, does it? Caleb made gospel sacrifices, and actually what it did is it taught the gospel of trusting God believing his promises to the next generation. That's what it achieves. So don't, don't worry about the detrimental effect of sacrifice for the gospel. It will actually do your children good. It will actually teach them and be a model to them of faith, of trusting God's promises. Let's pray. Father God, you alone... Uh, can see clearly thank you uh, that in the Lord Jesus uh, you um, saw clearest of all that you uh, saw the spiritual state of the people around you and yet you saw uh, and believed and truly uh, acted upon the wonderful salvation that you knew there was in store that only you could bring Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were one who uh, 
saw everything clearly and therefore you give us spiritual sight as those who you are making to be more like you. Please give us faith this week in what we see and through your word. Pray that we wouldn't be those who would just see what everyone else sees around us. But through your word, we pray we'd be seeing with your perspective, with the perspective of what you are going to be doing and what you can do and will do. Uh, We pray particularly for this area of um, gospel advance. Uh, This is a lost place. This is a lost people. This is a lost generation who are heading to an eternity in hell, separated from you. And Lord Jesus, we want to be able to see that as you see that, even though that will break us, that will hurt us. We also want to, as we see people's rejection, people's hardness of heart, as we've heard even today on the doorstep, we want to cry out to you because we know that you can save people. And we know that you're a mighty God. We know that you're... Uh, your promises are true and that you said that you would take the gospel to the generation, to the nations and you have done that. Uh, so we believe what you're going to be doing through and in us. Uh, we pray that you would um, help us to be courageous this week and yet humble, dependent on you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.